Connecting life and faith. This is Connections. So pre-pandemic estimates were that one in eight Canadians were food insecure, meaning they didn't have enough money to buy food that would prevent them from being hungry, that would allow them to provide hospitality, that would support their health, their families. And last estimate I heard, we think now it's one in seven Canadians that are food insecure, uh, which is a significant impact both on our, our personal health, on our social health, it would affect our spiritual health, uh, many impacts. And as food prices continue to rise, we're seeing even those who have the resources and have the income struggle to buy groceries. Today, we're joined by Karen Biesbrecht. She is a registered dietitian in Vancouver. Today in Connections, she's going to share with us what we're dealing with right now when it comes to food insecurity, what role the church plays in all of this, and how we can make changes in what we do in our everyday life to make our food situation a little bit better. We're going to hear that and so much more. Karen Giesbrecht joins us today. She is a registered dietitian out of Vancouver. What got you into the world of wanting to become a registered dietitian? I loved my biology teacher in high school and uh, started studying the sciences. I didn't really learn to appreciate English and literature and that kind of thing until much later. And I wanted something practical. Uh, So nutrition seemed like the best option. It was a a really interesting bridge between our health and, and practical side of life and in our personal, our social, our spiritual lives. And those are the courses that interested me and it's turned out to be a great career. For those who don't know, what is the actual role of a registered dietitian? So dietitians would have a lot of roles working. Most typical job would be in an acute care hospital, both on the planning of the food that's served to patients and making sure that there's appropriate choices for the general population, as well as anyone with allergies and different heart conditions, health conditions, as well as anyone who's undernourished or overnourished. Uh, we also get to work in in business and industry for those who are designing the food products that are on our shelves, in the community, in a lot of education, in schools. And I specifically work in a number of the shelters and addiction treatment programs in Vancouver. So both planning what gets served to our clients and guests, and then doing some group education and some one-on-one assessments with the clients. As they learn that eating is part of recovery and wellness. Uh, I found that really interesting. You mentioned the connection to our spiritual lives before, and I don't know if I've ever thought of that, even as a pastor and uh, the role food and nutrition plays in our spiritual lives. Could you talk about that really quickly? Sure. Um, I mean, food is, is both a great metaphor. Jesus talks about bread and water, uh, the goodness of honey, lots of things, uh, as well as God's designed us to need food every couple of hours to just really experience the goodness that he has for us. Uh, our, our bodies need food, our minds. Food plays a role in, in fasting and abstaining from, from what we take, teaches us a lot. Uh, we can be generous, care for others through food. And it's also a a big part of our connection with each other, uh, the role it plays in communion, the role it plays in in caring for the poor, for our sick neighbors, for the folks who are lonely. We've especially learned that through COVID. It's a way to connect with our neighbors. 
in many ways. It's something we don't often think about uh, connecting our faith and our food. We will often pray for our food and yeah. thank God for our food, but not combine those two and all the beauty that can come out of that. Well, and even the practice of praying before food, uh, expressing gratitude, thinking about all that, all the people that had a hand in even this cup of coffee I have in my hands. Uh, I am very grateful for it this morning. Uh, I'm grateful for hundreds of people who would have grown the beans, harvested them, roasted them, transported them. Uh, and so I could make this in my kitchen this morning. And I lied too. I, I guess I have <laughs> thought about the relationship before because one of my favorite passages in, is Elijah and his ministry and he feels like giving up and he cries out to God basically like, I wish I was dead. And God says, here, have a nap and have some food and gives them yeah. a place to rest and, and feeds them, right? A snack and a nap can do wonders for us. <laughs> now you mentioned the pandemic, you mentioned food insecurity and how things have changed. Um, obviously there were issues prior to the pandemic, but since the pandemic is hit, food insecurity has just become <clears throat> even more so of a problem. Tell us a little bit about what you've discovered. So pre-pandemic uh, estimates were that one in eight Canadians were food insecure, meaning they didn't have enough money to buy food that would prevent them from being hungry, that would allow them to provide hospitality, that would support their health, their families. And last estimate I heard, we think now it's one in seven Canadians that are food insecure, uh, which is a significant impact both on our, our personal health, on our social health, uh, on our, <clears throat> it would affect our spiritual health, uh, many impacts. And those who are most impacted are those with precarious work, often are uh, those in some of the restaurant jobs, cleaners, often new immigrants and new immigrant women, especially, probably most impacted. Mm -hmm. uh, students were impacted. Those so who what, couldn't take time well, off, who don't have sick pay. So what can we be doing to uh, help people if we're not being impacted ourselves right now, but we are finding times are, are tough and things are tight. How can we make a difference right now? I think our first, you know, if things aren't, aren't tough for us, our first response has got to be gratitude uh, and just recognize what we do have, the abundance of what we have. Uh, knowing about the problem, uh, food security and hunger quite challenging to measure there's it's not an easy way but learning about the what we do know in our neighborhoods advocating for good measurement food programs do make a difference in the connections that they make but we know food charity especially rescued food food that you know, would otherwise be tossed away that is not the answer people need to have a good income but getting to know our neighbors knowing those who struggle making this issue personal, not just a statistic, probably makes the biggest difference. And then we've got to advocate for, for good policy changes. We know things like old age pension, child benefits, living wage. That's what really makes the difference. That's what's going to stop people from being hungry. Churches play a huge role in providing a lot of the food and a lot of that connection that you said is important in all of this. Uh, is this the right way? Is there a better way then the church is doing this or can we as a church do a better job at doing this? Yeah, I think the churches, the work that churches do is significant. 
churches, especially uh, those I know here in Vancouver, they're an incredible asset. We have caring communities. We've got budgets that we want to spend on supporting our neighbors who need. We've got kitchens. We've got big open foyers where we can bring people in safely during our different distancing recommendations. Anything that we can do to support our our neighbors who are struggling. You know, every meal matters. Every bag of grocery matters. Every good cup of coffee matters. But we also have to recognize that those food banks, those community meals, they don't end hunger. They don't pull somebody out of poverty. But as we get to know people when we're on a first name basis with those in our neighborhood who struggle, then we're going to understand some of the challenges and we're going to use our resources we can to to advocate, to invest in what happens. But uh, often people are just in a really acute, acutely difficult place and we can be there for them. Uh, it's really interesting just how like it begins with relationship and relationship can really begin to make that difference. I always think it must be <laughs> such a big uh, issue, right? And so hard to tackle, but really does simply begin by knowing people and talking to them and developing that relationship with them. That's, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. And as we, uh, we saw some really beautiful things in Vancouver, and I'm sure this happened across Canada in our food programs pre-pandemic, where we are a lot of our guests were being invited to do some of the hosting, to be part of the team, to learn the skills, to experience the joy of volunteering, the build up the agency that comes when we can direct the programs that we're part of. And one of the hardest things, a lot of hard things through COVID, but one hard thing was that we had to send our guests back outside. We had to line up. They couldn't participate. We had to prioritize safety over connection. Uh, But soon we'll be able to be building up those connections again, giving people a role in their programs. We've dealt with the pandemic. We've dealt with everything that has come along with that. And obviously what you're just, what you just talked about, but now we're also adding on uh, a new pressure and that is higher grocery prices that even people who, who have that proper income, who have those resources, those people are, are struggling as well. What do we do in this situation now? And that answer is going to be different for everyone. Um, we are going to get to be a little bit more creative with cooking from scratch, buying more simple food learning to cook our own beans and lentils, moving towards more plant-based diet, more plant-based foods. That's going to be part of it. Uh, In Vancouver, there's popping up a lot more programs where you can be buying sort of the the secondhand food, food that is close to going to waste. Uh, Looking at how we waste food is another part of the problem. Some estimates are that we, we throw away a, about a thousand dollars worth of food per year as a family. Uh, and more than half of what we throw out, we could have actually eaten. And so learning how to cook, how to cook well, that's going to be part of it. And part of it is going to be making sure that we're watching out for our neighbors who are struggling, learning how to share food a little bit more. Uh, but there's not going to be one answer to that question. One of the one of the big things that we've kind of changed in the last year is, well, wasted food has always driven me nuts. I just hate wasting. I think it's so, I don't know, irresponsible for lack of a better word, right? But so we've started shopping more often and buying less when we do shop, right? So the fruit 
isn't going bad or the vegetables aren't going bad in the drawer, especially the vegetables, you put them in that drawer and then forget about them. If you're fortunate like us to, mm-hmm. to not pay close attention. So we found that to be really helpful and cut down on our waste personally, at least. Mm-hmm. And that's a luxury to be able to do so. If you've right. got a grocery store nearby, if you've got transportation to do that. Uh, but being mindful of what we've got in our cupboards, in our fridges, that's going to be a part of it. It's basically looking at everything in a, in a new perspective because here I'm thinking, oh, I have nothing left to eat just because my fridge is empty. My fridge is empty. You turn around, <laughs> I've got a pantry full of food. I've got mm-hmm. a basement pantry full of food. Mm-hmm. We're not going hungry. It's looking at it in a different way. Yeah, and recognizing every bag of rice and every can of food in our pantry, uh, That that's hours worth of work. Uh, that's the miracle of growth of plants growing. Uh, a lot of people had a hand in that and we want to honor their work um, as well as, as it's part of our acts of creation care to use our food. Well, everything from uh, how we prep food, how we store it, how we compost it, what we do with the cans at the end of the, of it. It's all part of our, can all be part of our, our spiritual practice of our practice of living well. Can we still get the same nutrition from these foods that we typically, you know, kind of have at the back of the cupboard that we typically wouldn't touch because we're like, hey, that's there in case of emergency. But now this is going to be our main food. Can we still get that same kind of nutrition from those foods? What our bodies need is as much variety as possible. Certainly, we need good quality proteins, uh, some fresh food. There are nutrients that are in fresh fruit and vegetables that aren't in some of that canned food. Uh, and there's other nutrients that <clears throat> our body absorbs better after certain food is cooked. And so really variety is, is what we need. Uh, and if we can be uh, meeting a lot of our hunger needs with the canned food, uh, it's just a bonus that we're also able to be adding fresh food. Even if we can add a few fresh carrots and fresh vegetables to canned soup, you can increase the flavor, increase the nutrition, increase the, the volume of your meal there. What about um, the role of gardens? I noticed uh, last year, it seemed to me a lot more people, maybe because they had more time on their hands because of the pandemic, they were gardening. But uh, again, going from that luxury, oh, you can garden to <laughs> are gardens making a bigger impact in communities, maybe like community gardens and things like that. Uh, again, every fresh bit of fresh food that we can add to our diets makes a difference. Even if all you're growing is basil, that can make a difference to how good your ta- your food is. Uh, overall, community gardens don't tend to provide a significant amount of the calories that we insu- consume and the fiber and the, all the other vitamins and minerals that our bodies need. But they provide a significant amount of neighborhood connection, of getting out there and doing something physical with our bodies passing on some of the gardening skills to the next generation or learning from our, our elderly neighbors, what they know, all of that is significant. And when we grow food, we realize just how hard it is to grow it, to grow sort of the significant (laughs) amount of food that we need. Again, we learn to value it more. Yeah. I think that's a big thing for people, especially we have such convenience now just going to the store and, and grabbing things. Right. And we forget how hard it really is to uh to grow food and uh, can be really surprising for people yeah yeah even if all we can grow is some 
herbs and tomatoes on a balcony that can help change our relationship with food. It's so interesting throughout this whole conversation. It's always gone back to connection about relationships moving forward with all of with everything we're faced with with the high food prices with food insecurity what's the first step that we need to take i say the first step is just get curious about your city your neighborhood uh, what is known about food security and poverty in your neighborhood or uh, and if if it isn't known who do we put pressure on so that some of these things are known uh, our church communities our parishes Often we're unaware of some of the poverty stats, but municipal halls, they often have that information available. We just have to dig for it a little bit. I got the privilege of doing a couple of reports this summer looking at some of the food assets and the needs in different neighborhoods in around Vancouver. I got to call up those who are doing this work and ask them what they've learned through the pandemic, who they see as being underserved. And sometimes it's a particular population that we will really invest in, whether it's newcomers or seniors living on their own or single parent families. Sometimes some of the, the subpopulations uh, could be a really rich experience to get to know. Interesting thing that you just said there was churches don't really know the situation, right? They don't know what's going on. But it's funny because the churches are quite often, like we said earlier, the churches are the ones in most cases providing the food and the necessities that these people need, but yet they don't actually know the extent of, of what is going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we saw in Vancouver, uh, it was the churches and, and sometimes the, the neighborhood houses, the small community programs that could be most adaptable in what they did early on in the pandemic because they had caring people in place. They had the physical space that we could use. Even when we couldn't, we could only bring a few people inside a building. Um, and a lot of that infrastructure set up. A lot of churches, uh, you know, throughout the pandemic, they felt helpless. I've seen that over and over again. Uh, pastors and congregants express that they don't know what to do through the pandemic. Well, here's a great opportunity to be serving people then. And as we serve people, we get to know them, uh, get to know who they, who are neighbors in need, know They'll often know their neighbor who is home, who's struggling, uh, who's isolated, who's unable to get out. A number of churches that were running sit-down community meals where the folks from the congregation, the folks from the neighborhood could sit down and eat together. They shifted to giving out bags of groceries or takeout meals, which for the short term is the best we can do. But we really look forward to when we can be sitting down together again as neighbors. For people who want to learn more about what's going on, you have a a great website with a bunch of stuff that you've done. Uh, People want to learn more about you and what what you've looked into. How can they go about learning more? The Planted Network, plantednetwork.ca, is where we're putting together some of these resources that we're we're finding. The, The reports that I got to do are posted there. I wrote a book. A couple of years ago, this was pre-pandemic, about three years ago now. Uh, it's called Happy Colon, Happy Soul, which was exploring <laughs> what I've learned about, about food. It was my way of translating my training as a dietitian into the church basements and the community programs. Uh, and I've just met incredible people along the way. So that's where I shared some of those stories. 
I love that title. I'm going to pick up a copy of that book. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it uh, the title came from conversation with friends, and it was kind of a joke for many years. But when I finished writing, the title seemed to fit. So uh, there's definitely, and I, this was started uh, started thinking about this before we were talking about probiotics and and all and gut bacteria and recognizing how much of an impact that has on our our physical health, our immunity, our mental health. Thank you so much for making time for us today. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. And thank you so much for listening today. Remember, if you want to listen to this full conversation again or to any of the other conversations we've had on Connections, you can do that by checking out our podcast, Connections with Mike, Tom, and Colleen Hood. You can find that at podcastfield.ca or wherever else you get your favorite podcast from. Don't forget to subscribe. We'll talk to you again on Connections.